it's Graham Lynch from Comms Day Live. Welcome back to 2022. Um, we've got a special episode to kick off the year season uh, this week, um, all about something that happened 30 years ago. That's right, um, the end of January 1992, competition officially started in Australia with the licensing of Optus as the second licensed telecommunications operator. Now, this, this took placed um, through the sale of the government satellite company, OSAT, to a private consortium, which was then given a license that enabled it to do a broad suite of telecommunication services. Now, the interesting thing is that 30 years ago, a particular man by the name of Bob Mansfield was picked to head this new operator. It was his first time in telecoms. Um, and of course, he's gone on to become a stalwart of the Australian telecommunications industry. He went on to become the chairman of Telstra. And currently, 30 years later, he's the chairman of Focus. So I thought he'd be a natural person to, to talk about 30 years of competition in Australia with. And uh, I caught up with him earlier this week to hear his perspectives. Now, I started off by asking him um, about whether he'd been attracted to telecommunications back then, or did he have to be talked into it by a headhunter? Here's what he had to say. No, I was headhunted. I, I um, was, was not in a chief executive position at the time, and I was headhunted, and I didn't have a clue. I mean, Optus was, um, uh, the, the whole question mark then, I'm, I'm just refreshing my memory, was uh, what happens to Offset? You know, that, that was all part of the, the thing. So I'd followed the, sort of the battle for privatisation, uh, generally speaking, as a consumer more than anything, but um, didn't know anything about it until I was approached to uh, run the company. At that stage, as you know, it was a consortium of uh, Bell South, Cadman Wireless, Main Nicholas, um, and uh, a couple of others, and uh, went through the process there and was appointed just as they were coming. They'd won the licence, but they hadn't done anything about building the network. Right, so, so they won the licence the year before, didn't they? Yeah. Um, that- yeah, and... Uh, taking control of Bossat was part of the deal. So yeah. w- when you came in, I guess, as you say, you had those telco shareholders like Bill South and so on. Um, how heavily did you need to lean on them to come up to speed well, on what was needed? It, it was quite interesting. I mean, in coming in, I don't come into any of these chief executive roles that I've taken, presuming I know everything. In fact, I take the opposite. I know very little and I need people around me that do know everything. And when you came into a, 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 an environment, I guess, Bell South Cable and Wireless, I mean, they knew telcos like the back of their hands, and they had a team out here, a mixed team, some from Bell South, some from Cable and Wireless, and then we hired Australian people as well as those that we got out of OSAT. And my role was to be the conductor of the orchestra without being the best um, uh, you know, player of any particular instrument so that I, I had to harness this, uh, establish the culture, um, not myself, me and the team, obviously, um, and that was my major challenge was that, I still say now, humorously, when I do a speech anywhere, that um, I didn't know how a telephone worked back then, and I still don't. And um, but I had a lot of people around me that did, and that's that's what the the art of management is, in my view. That you don't have to be an expert in everything yourself, but you've got to be able to pull everybody together that is an expert and make it work. Yeah, and that was the internal challenge. But of course, you also had the external challenge that the whole telecom oh, sector was like created around the needs and interests of Telecom Australia. And all yeah, of them, Optus gets given a license, but there's no real regulatory regime to go with it. You know, it was still making it up as they went along. So yeah, how, how did you deal with all of that? Well, basically, if you, if you look at what what I inherited when I took the job, it was 
a, a period of five years where we were the only other person that could build infrastructure. So if we built a lot of infrastructure in that five-year period, um, it would help us cement the market. If we built very little, we'd get uh, king hit uh, you know, by competition. Um, so it was a race to build infrastructure, which meant you needed big um, big shareholders, and shareholders knew what they were doing in the telco world, which is where Bell South and Cable and Wireless came into it. So it was, uh, the way I interpret it, it was a race to build the network infrastructure and get as much head start on what happened 30 years afterwards, which is the massive competition that's emerged in the telco sector since then. Yeah, okay. And, and you, I guess you, you, you spread your bets there between cable, television and mobile. Um, of the two, it's mobile that, of course, wildly paid off as an investment. At, yeah, if, absolutely. Yeah, if you've been able to see sort of 20 years into the future back then, was, would that have surprised you how, how dominant mobile became? I mean, I, I was always very optimistic about mobile, but I mean, I think anyone that says that it's ended up being what they thought it was 20 years ago is fooling themselves. I mean, none of us knew it was going to be as big as what it is. I remember Ziggy, when I was at, at, at Telstra, Ziggy gave a speech once and he said that, you know, the average household in Australia will have uh, 1.75 um, uh, mobile phones per household and everyone laughed at him, you know. But I, I, at Optus, I remember giving speeches holding up a... Um, an early stage sat phone, uh, uh, mobile phone and then um, a satellite phone and saying these will be reduced down to a, a unit that will be a diary and be everything else. And you know, I was just taking some of the vision that I personally believed in and putting it out there. And most people laughed their heads off when you mentioned that stuff. And I've been very conservative in hindsight um, about how, uh, how uh, the mobile direction picked up. It's just been staggering. And then when you combine the mobile and the internet direction, um, it, uh, it really changed the whole world, as we all know. What would you have done differently with the cable television strategy if you had your time again there? Uh, I mean, the, the biggest issue there was Foxtel was, uh, again, I'm giving a few war stories here, but um, I still say now when people tell me, oh, business is hard, you know, I say, so then when I started at Optus, we didn't have one customer. The other guy had all of them. And that applied to pay TV as well as to uh, to telco. And so if you're going to take up as a competitor in those previously monopolised markets, um, you've got to have some some uh, aggression, you've got to have some vision, you've got to have some money um, to push ahead in that direction. What was happening in the in the Foxtel world was it, it – I mean, the whole world of internet, television, um, pay TV, content um, – was all coming together at a great rate of knots. And um, if you look back at the, the best that Rupert Murdoch made, just what's more valuable? Is it infrastructure or content? He backed content um, and others backed infrastructure. So in that pay TV thing, the, 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 the biggest frustration to me in hindsight was that um, it, it basically meant that Foxtel and Optus ran the same cables th- down the same streets. So instead of Sitting back and having an approach to it to encourage competition in a in a way that um, that was a bit more sensible than just wasting money, um, uh, it would have been a, a, a better outcome. And we, we did try to get those outcomes when you look at the interactions with the governments of the day and all the rest of it. That um, whether you toss a coin and say Foxtel takes those suburbs and we take other suburbs or whatever, but to, to go and run the same cable down the same streets in a country that was just starting to get established in pay TV um, uh, was not a very smart plan of attack. Yeah, and in fact, no other country really did it that way. No. And the, the, the frustration we had, and 
um, the, the, the U.S. experience is ahead of us, as you know, and um, the, the, the Bell South uh, experience was if you, if you didn't do anything and you let the other guys have the whole market to themselves, then you're really on the back foot. And so that's where uh, Optus Vision came along to try and uh, uh, plug that gap. And then you, once you're into Optus Vision, you're then tied up with uh, uh, pay to, uh, uh, free-to-air TV and all the rest of it. So it's quite a complex um, uh, web of intrigue at the time. But there was a lot of money wasted with regard to the cable, as, as we've subsequently seen when you know, NBN came along and actually um, bought the cable back to a large degree. Yeah, and in the end, it's um, got a new life. So I guess you, you, you could say that it was worth it in the end. Yeah, it's, yeah. In the end, although there was a lot of money lost on the way through, um, yeah. because of uh, uh, you know, as I said, you just get doing the same thing down the same streets when the rest of the country, and it it it, it impacted Australia more because we're such a big geography. Um, I always used to explain to people when when you um when you're talking about coverage, you know, we're one of the few countries in the world where the right to own a telephone is basically given to every every consumer. Um, whether it be a satellite phone or a mobile phone or a, 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 a fixed line phone. Um, and there was loss-making uh, at Telstra's end very, very significantly, as we all know, with the USO and everything else, and, and Optus and all the other telcos that came in got involved with that. But Australia's been able to provide um, uh, basic telecommunications um, uh, pretty effectively over the years, despite what most consumers think. Um, and I, I always remember talking to... Uh, in, in, in Optus, I was trying to talk on the basis of the opportunities for Optus, but when I spoke to um, uh, the agricultural areas when I was chairman of Telstra, you'd, you'd go out and meet with the farmers and all that sort of stuff, and um, I always used to say that they, they'd complain about things in the meeting, which is fine. Then I talked to the complainant afterwards for their one-on-one experience and said, what's the particular problem you've got? And he said, no, 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 mine's okay. He said, but the people in the district are the ones who've got the problem. So individually, people realise, I think, that it's pretty um, pretty significant, the level of service that they get, but it's not as good as what it is in a city and never will be. And that's where the big battle comes in, that if you've got some internet but it's not as fast as what the suburb down the road goes, you complain about it. If you've got no internet, you complain about it. So it's a it's a it's a situation that, as time goes on, technology gets better and cheaper to roll out and gets more expansive. The complaints lower, but you never have in the telco world a zero complaint factor because uh, the technology aspect needs to be managed very very carefully. Yeah. Okay. On that note, looking back over thirty years, do you think the government policies in telco have broadly got it right? Have there been more positives than negatives overall? Uh, I, I'm basically an optimist. I mean, in hindsight, you can always do things better. There's no two ways about it. But if you look at um, the world today with one, Telstra um, um, is in relative health. Optus is in um, uh, relative health. Competitors are, uh, abound everywhere. Um, you've got NBN in the middle of it. Um, you've got uh, adoption of new technology. Now, could it have been done better? In hindsight, knowing what we do today, the answer is yes. But it was uh, sort of a muddling through regulatory uh, uh, situation that was impacting every country in the world. And when you look at Australia, the problem you had, you're comparing against uh, you know, Singapore and Hong Kong and, um, and Korea and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the geography of running a network capability around Singapore is so much simpler than running one around Australia because of the sheer geography and the size. So we were often compared against countries when you looked at it and said it's not a fair comparison. But in hindsight, I'm talking as a consumer, let alone as a, 
uh, a telco executive, um, I think it's uh, it, it served the country pretty well. But in hindsight, could you have done it better knowing what we know today? Without a doubt. Okay, so you spent, um, obviously, through the 1990s into the early 2000s, you were at both Optus and Telstra, and, and now after at some time out of the sector, you're back at Focus. Yeah. Um, what are the, how are the challenges these days different to back in the 1990s in terms of, of being a successful telco? What do you have to do differently? Uh, well, I mean, the competitive uh, environment is just so different, it's not even funny. I mean, there we had one, one person to battle, that was Telstra. Um, and it was a very focused, I guess, um, uh, marketing effort and all the rest of it. And uh, it became, for me, a, a, an involvement that I never anticipated when I took a job, and that is Frank Blunt was <laughs> running Telstra at the time, and his American accent um, uh, helped our case with saying uh, uh, company and all that sort of stuff, even though we had obviously shareholders. So it was a battle one-to-one, whereas now it's not. It's a, it's bloody everyone that wants to be in the battle is in there. Yeah, and of course the difference is these days that your competitors are also your partners, you know, depending on what market you're in. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and, uh, and the growth of mobile um, has been staggering uh, and will continue to be. It's, um, if, you, um, if you basically, I mean, if you basically look at Telstra and, um, and uh, Optus, they're essentially mobile companies now when you look at the percentage of their businesses that's reliant on mobile with regard to profit contribution and everything else. They're also involved in other things, but then you've got competitors that are a lot more focused, um, and I'm not just talking about Vocus here, but Vocus has... Uh, MVNO relationship with Optus for their mobile, but it's not mobile centric with regard to its results and everything else. It's more in the other side of infrastructure, which is the the cables and all the rest of it, in areas of of, um, of activity that have very few competitors. If you look at um, some of the parts, but other areas they have significant competitors. So it's a it's 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 not an easy industry. Never has been, and I think it's tougher now, bearing in mind the competitive framework and. The, the one message the government gets from all the participants is, you know, the margins are flying right out of the business so that the return on investment factor is um, is uh, d- downward and downward and downward. Well, if people can't get a return on what they invest, they won't invest. So it's a fine, it's a very fine balance. I mean, you've got to be able to have an environment where the return on investment is enough to encourage the investment and it's ongoing investment, not just once up, once you put it in, that's where it stays. It's got to keep moving ahead as technology and um, and uh, customer uh, requirements change. So what do you think needs to be done to make the telco sector a more attractive place to invest? Uh, I, I think, um, I mean, the NBN is still a complexity, even though it's sort of been simplified somewhat. But, um, you know, the, the CBC issue is one that's still very much alive and uh, hasn't been settled. And I think it's fair to say there's, there's no doubt a complexity in, 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 from the government's angle, and I mean, the government wants NBN to make money because if it makes money, it can sell it. I mean, it's as simple as that, and they've, they've, they've sort of made that pretty clear, whether you're Labor, Liberal, or whatever. But in order to make money, you can really only do it by, um, you know, uh, make it tough for the other guys to make money. And um, if you don't do it properly, the other guys will make the money, and you won't. If you do do it properly, it's a hell of a battle because you've got competitors that are very, very significant. So it's not easy um, for them to do it unless there's a regulatory framework that makes it easier. And it's that balance that I think the government's still battling with at this point in time. Yeah. 
Gareth, um, what's interesting about you, Bob, is that you've, you've got broad experience across a lot of different industries, not, not just telco. So if, if you were speaking to a young person today who's thinking about uh, what career they want to pursue, why would you argue the case for telco? What, what arguments would you make? I'd argue the case, not telco specific, but say a beneficiary of what I'm suggesting would be you've got a choice of being in telcos or being in a, in a, 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 a supplier to telcos. Um, and it comes back to, I mean, I still think coding's got a hell of a future um, uh, in, in the, the world of opportunity ahead. When you look at artificial intelligence and all the rest of it, you need people to know how to make all that stuff work. Um, and coding is going to be a requirement um, for male and females uh, for the next foreseeable future that I see that's got great opportunities for people. If you take that, whether you work for a telco with their digitisation programs or whether you work for a bank that's digitising, or whether you work for Atlassian, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Those skills are needed. Um, so I think there's big opportunities there, but um, not not necessarily saying if you did this, you'd be an expert in telco land. Okay, got it. Okay, that's, that's um, terrific stuff, Bob. That, that's the sort of uh, the on the record interview finish. So thank you very much for that. No a pleasure. I'll read with interest, and um, uh, thanks for recognising the 30 years. Yeah. That was Bob Mansfield, the founding CEO of Optus, then the chairman of Telstra, and currently the chairman of Focus. That's it for Commissaire Live this week. We'll be back next week. Just